0: Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco.
1: And I'm Tarek.
0: And thanks for joining us at Page One, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, talk about their process and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. And we have a huge back catalogue of some really great authors, screenwriters, comic writers. So please do go and check that out if you if this is your first episode. But if it is your first episode, it's a great first episode, Tarek.
1: It's a fantastic first episode because this week we are chatting with the awesome Rob Hart, who is an American author, novelist and journalist. He, um, he kind of started off writing crime novels, his five book crime thriller series, Ash McKenna novels. Um, and then he kind of pivoted away from crime and went into kind of semi-sci-fi speculative fiction. Yeah, sort fiction. of
0: near-future spec. Near-future spec- near stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: with The Warehouse, which is a kind of uh, what um, what would happen if Amazon did everything type story. Yeah. And um, it's great. And I, I really yeah, love it. Yeah, you were a big fan of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's, you know, it's drawn comparisons. You know, the, the reviews were sort of like um, 1984, Fahrenheit yeah. 451. So big comparisons but I think live up to it in the, in the sense of what the message that the book's trying to get across there um, it's it's a thriller but it's also issues that he wanted to raise in that book and I think and we talked to him about that and the importance of books like that and whether they actually have an impact yeah. even if people sort of recognise what they are realise there's issues yeah, yeah
1: exactly it's one thing to have to to say oh, there's definitely an issue here another thing to actually act on it I suppose
0: yeah yeah. But um, and we also talked to him a really interesting chat about his process because he has uh, the interesting redrafting process, which involves. Well, in fact, I'm not going to spoil it because I'll, <laughs> we'll save that for we we'll, we'll maybe chat about it. Find out what is interesting process exactly. Is, uh, we, we can chat about it after after the podcast. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's a really good chat. Rob is a really great guy to speak with, and we talk also about representation in, in books and chat about what it was like to be a co-author with a certain James Patterson.
1: Yeah, quite a cool little gig there if you can get it, I think. Yeah, exactly.
0: So um, we'll get into it after an advert for our writer's notebook. But before we do that, we just wanted to remind you that this very weekend, if you're listening to this on the day of uh, release, is the Chimera Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. And um, we are... Sponsors of that festival, we've we're doing a couple of recorded talks and also we're doing a live episode of the podcast. Very exciting. Tomorrow, Saturday at 1 pm. Tomorrow at the, at the Pleasance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, day of record- day of, so, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow as when the episode goes out, not at time of recording. Yes, sorry, that makes more sense. I was panicking there for a moment. <laughs>
0: Yeah, at the Pleasance in Edinburgh. So if and you need a ticket, you can book it on the website. There's a link in the podcast description. But otherwise, it's free to come along. And we'd love to have some of our listeners there in the audience. That would be amazing. And obviously, you get to not only hear us and see us, you also get to see, of course, much more importantly, Adrian Tchaikovsky. <laughs> and we're sure it'll be a great chat. So... Um, the- yeah, if, if you are in Edinburgh and fancy that Please do come along But we'll get on with the podcast now And then we'll be back at the end of the podcast With a bit more
1: chat But for now, on with the podcast
0: The blank page To some, it's terrifying An obstacle to overcome But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity A blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures And characters in our head So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is Write Seriously Get words on the page and more will follow.
1: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read, or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait
0: to read what you come up with.
1: And remember, every story starts with page one.
0: Did you always want to be a writer? Because I think I'm right in saying you uh, started in journalism and then went into or worked in politics
2: a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I actually I wanted to be an artist when I was a kid. Um, And I went to uh, I went to school for graphic design. And within my first semester realized it was just not for me. And I ended up switching over to journalism, because I was like, well, I want to get into writing. um, And it would be cool to maybe write books one day. But I thought journalism was a little bit more applicable to real life, like I, I could get a job. And you know, creative writing degree is is unfortunately not always the best way to get a, a job. So, uh, so yeah, I I was a journalist for four years and then jumped ship for for politics and did that for a little while and eventually got burnt out and started working for a small publisher uh, just to kind of like give myself the space to to write. So, I mean, I decided I wanted to write books when I was eighteen, and I think my first book came out when I was thirty two. So, you know. Took a little bit of time, but I got there eventually. And and were you so? Was it only from eighteen
0: that you were sort of writing in the background, as it were, or or were you writing stories as a kid as well and, and sort of developing over that period?
2: Yeah, no, it was really uh, it, it was around when I was eighteen that it started. Uh, and, and when I was a kid, you know, uh, you know, I was always artistically inclined. Uh, when I was when I was in grade school, uh, we had to do like composition essays, like short stories every week, and my uh my teacher was always very encouraging with that and you know I was more of a reader than a writer like I was always a big reader when I was a kid and then you know just kind of slowly moved into it
1: and then you were working for is it mysterious press without was that was yeah that's working for I mean that must have been a really great kind of insight to how the industry worked and to see how the deals that were kind of being made the sort of books that people were buying etc
2: yeah, you know, it was a fun little gig because essentially uh, it was the guy who owns the Mysterious Bookshop in Tribeca in Manhattan. Uh, and he had this sort of side gig where uh, the Mysterious Press was taking old crime and mystery books and turning them into ebooks. Like oh, cool. stuff that's been out of print forever and wouldn't really be economically feasible to put them back in print, but to release them as ebooks would be okay. And so we had some stuff by like James Elroy and, uh, you know, so some like bigger names, but then like some cool stuff like Charlotte McLeod and, you know, Charles Williams, like lesser known names. And uh, we worked with like a couple of thousand books. And yeah, it was it was nice because I, I was technically working for a small indie press, but I still was in New York. So I got to get some sort of entree to the publishing community and it helped me learn a little bit about how the system works, like kind of the behind the scenes stuff. And when did you
0: decide to put yourself out there, as it were, in terms of your own writing?
2: I was trying for a while. I mean, my first book, yeah, it came out in 2015, so I was about 32. Um, You know, I'd been trying for years to, to write it and get it published. I think it was probably like five or six years. I had written a book previous to that, but it just really kind of didn't come together it, it, it is sitting in the drawer of my filing cabinet and i have given my mom instructions to destroy it upon my death um i just Every, do not everyone want says that but, yeah, but everyone's got one they well. gotta burn off you, you yeah why keep it if you don't want anyone to ever see it again i i because sometimes it's fun to kind of look at and say like wow like what was i thinking but um <laughs> but yeah no it was uh you know i was trying for a really long time and then the first book came out, my first book came out with a small press uh, called Polis and I ended up writing a couple of uh, uh, five books in that series in total. Um, you know, and because it was a small press, you know, uh, they they got really good coverage. They got really good, you know, media, really good bookstore placement, but still, you know, you're kind of fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was really like, it was the warehouse deal that kind of like let me become a full-time writer and and just really focus on this as a career.
1: And And when you were, um, so your first full-length novel was New York. Is that is yeah. that right? Yeah. And and when you were so you had this book written, what was your process at that point when trying to going out there trying to find agents, look at the publishers? Did you go do you think about doing putting it your, out there yourself? What was the thought process behind all that?
2: It was it was a weird process. Uh, I got lucky in that I was at a, a conference uh, with I, I worked this web with, with this website called Lit Reactor, that's like a website for readers and writers. And we rented a table at a conference in Portland, Oregon, and there was an agent there who also worked with the site. The two of us really hit it off. And you know, she she heard that I was a writer and she was like, cool, send me something. And I sent her the book and she liked it. And we ended up getting a, a two book deal with an imprint called uh, Exhibit A, which is part of Angry Robot, which is a, a British publisher. And then like two months after I signed the contract, the the imprint shut down. So the contract was cut loose. Um. And then what happened was Polis, which had initially made an offer, but they were only doing eBooks at that point. They came back to me and they said, well, we're doing print now too. Would you like to do this? And I was like, well, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like this weird process where the agent part came really easy um, and it felt like the the publishing part came really hard because you know we sent it out to all the big publishers and it got rejected by all of them, which you know, looking back now, I totally understand it was not a big press book. Uh, It was, you know, it was sort of like a a smaller, riskier book that a small press was better suited for. And uh, yeah, it it was a lot of learning. And it was, uh, I'm glad to have had the process. I actually tell people, I think it's great to start with a smaller press and move up to a bigger press because you learn how to work with an editor, how to promote yourself, like how to sort of like, you know, guard your expectations. Uh, And I think it's when, when even having published five books, like jumping into the world with like warehouse was like it was still kind of a shock to the system
0: and that, that's interesting what you say there about you know the small press being willing to take more risks essentially on on a different type of story i suppose but is you know they, they always say don't write for the market you know write the story that, yeah. that you're wanting to tell and then f- find the market for it essentially but um do you have to you know if you are aiming for a bigger price deal do you have to have certain parts of the market in
2: mind you know it's such a weird thing it's such a weird thing so i'm I'm currently in this situation where you know i i want to start working on my next book and i've got a couple of ideas and you know it's a lot of conversations with both my agent and my editor whom i want to continue working with about what is going to be best suited for both my career and for the market, but also like make me happy as a writer Mm -hmm. and be fulfilling. Um, That said, you know, and again, going back to warehouse, this is a book that was hyper critical of Amazon, which controls 75% Mm -hmm. of book sales in the US. And I was convinced no one was going to touch it. I was like, no one's like, if I'm lucky, like a small press that's willing to poke the bear would be willing to do this no way is a major press going to do this. No one wants to bite the hand that feeds them. Uh, So I'm glad that I went in there kind of like full bore and was like, I'm just going to write this the way I want to write it. We'll see how it breaks down. And uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's always worth, I think, thinking about to a degree, but I also don't know that it's worth holding yourself back over. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I suppose that makes sense. Um, And yeah, but let's talk about the warehouse uh, just now, which I have a copy of here. Um,
2: For those that haven't read it do you want to summarize it sure sure Uh, i mean it's essentially what would happen if amazon completely took over the retail economy um and it kind of springs out from things like you know the old coal mining towns and like foxconn uh in, in asia where you know they have these like you basically live where you work so you know your company controls like everything about your life it's kind of like a closed circuit of capitalism so it's about this one company sort of building these big live work facilities in the US and people sort of running out of options for where to work besides there. So they have to go get jobs with this company cloud and they're kind of stuck in the system. And, uh, you know, and and part of the reason that, that that it's fun to have these conversations is is I also, when I was writing this, thought it was a very uniquely uh u.s problem i thought it was a uniquely american problem and so uh when we got such a great response from foreign publishers i think we ended up in like 22 countries it mm-hmm. was like oh man like i completely misjudged everything about this yeah no it, it
0: certainly resonated um when i was reading it as well it's, it's definitely definitely recognizable as as an issue here and in in the author's note for that that book you also say that you specifically set out to write um an issues book if you like um yeah you know why did you want to do that and is there a danger if you set out to do that that you can turn some people off
2: yeah you know it's it's interesting because on one hand like i i'm very proud of where i stand politically so you know if if someone doesn't agree with my politics they don't have to buy my book like i don't care you know you go believe what you want to believe it's fine mm-hmm. um you know, uh, part of the reason I wanted to do this is because I, uh, one of the most formative books for me as a writer was Fahrenheit 451, which I loved. That it's like a really fun, exciting book. You know, it's it's basically a thriller, uh, but it's it's also like it's 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 a it's an issues book, and I've always been a big fan of that. Like, you know, um, 1984 is another great example of of books that like they have. It, it, it's it's the the joke I keep on making is that it's like when I want to get my daughter to eat her broccoli, I sneak it into her mac and cheese so she'll eat it and it's like, you know, she gets a palatable meal but she gets her vitamins too and that's kind of what this feels like. It feels like almost sneaky. It's like, you know, I'm going to give you like kind of like this fun, thrillery sort of, you know, spec book and at the end of the day, maybe you're going to walk away with some kind of message about how late-stage capitalism is bad. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, and you think, I mean, definitely, I totally agree with that and I think that uh, it's almost easier to get that message across to people in a way that they don't... Yeah, it's almost like your daughter's meal, isn't it? They don't realise what they're getting and it's maybe an idea that kind of maybe sits in, in, in their head a little bit and and it's it's almost... It gets them to engage with a topic or a question that they probably wouldn't have even thought about engaging with otherwise. And they would never have watched a lecture or read a news article perhaps about it, but when it's put through the guides of, of fiction, it almost becomes easier to, to, to swallow
2: yeah yeah you're exactly right uh because fiction is an empathy machine yeah. you know it's 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 so much easier like I I did so much research for this book I probably could have written a pretty solid non-fiction book about mm-hmm. why Amazon's a bad company but when you uh, create characters and you kind of put the reader in their shoes you know people can kind of find that you know the, the, those universal threads and they can they can sort of understand it and feel it a little bit better because like you know, I've never worked in a fulfillment center like the characters in the books, but I also, I know what it's like to have to work unpaid overtime, to feel undervalued, to feel like I'm being run into the ground, to work for people who like don't value what I'm doing. And, you know, the, the, there are connecting threads. It's just a matter of finding them.
0: And did, did you have a fear? Because in the book, there's there's a, there's a there, without spoiling anything too much, there's a, a thread that is talks about whether Certain books are being are not being promoted or, or supplied. Essentially, things like The Handmaid's Tale, I think, it is in, in the book. Yeah, um, and then it turns out uh, that the books are there. It's just that no one's actually ordering them because everything else is is being made available. I mean, did did you have a fear with Amazon? I suppose that
2: that might happen to your book. I, I certainly thought that. Um, I, I don't, th- we, we've seen no evidence that Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, tried to like downplay this. And, uh, you know, I honestly, I don't think Jeff Bezos cares that guy's got enough money. He's no, fine. Exactly, I'd yeah. be shocked if he even knew, like <laughs> if, if he even knew about my book. Um, but yeah, I, I was actually just kind of fascinated by, by this idea of how, you know, as a society, we're always really keyed into stories like this, but we never seem to listen to them. I mean, yeah. like. You know how many how many great stories are there about how we're completely destroying the planet, and it has not stopped us from destroying the planet. It's it, it's like there there's this disconnect between like the way we sometimes celebrate these stories, and then how we actually like put those into effect in our day to day lives.
1: So so what's your process then when you come to sit down and write? You know, it sounds like you did a lot of research into places like Foxconn et cetera, how these how these factories stroke homes work. Uh, so, do you do a lot of planning up up front, and does that extend to the actual story itself? Do you plan out the plot before you start writing?
2: Yeah, yeah, I uh, I, I need to outline a lot. You know, I, I really the research phase is usually pretty long for me because you know, as a former journalist, uh, that's that's one of my superpowers. I love the research phase. Which for this was actually um, most of my research was into Walmart uh, because, you know, Amazon is a relatively new company and the grand scale of the economy. But Walmart was established in the United States in the 1960s. So you can more clearly see how they shaped and influenced the economy. Um, But, yeah, I did a ton of reading, a ton of research. And then just really it's for me, it's about kind of like breaking the characters, figuring out who needs to tell the story and then roughing out an idea of like what it needs to look like. And uh, within that process, you know, I I get pretty, you know, exacting on it. I I have a map of the warehouse facility that I drew because I realized like I I, I can't like I, I need to situate myself in this space so I can understand it. And actually sitting down and drawing the map I got a big piece of poster board uh that helped me solve some plot uh plot problems which was nice but um yeah usually and and I I can finish a book in six months um you know but but it's it's all that planning and and prep can take like up to a year or more beforehand and I I just I need all that in front of me before I even get started
1: when you're writing something that that has a message you know it's like it almost makes me think of a kind of the morality stories used to get in the old Star Trek that kind of you know there was a point to the story it was trying to tell tell you something beyond just what was happening how do you how do you write something like that in a way that doesn't come across as forced or obvious how do you keep the plot um, going forward in a way that seems natural and it, it's not too on the nose
2: you know, that honestly, like, that's a hard question to answer. Um, because I think it's a little bit more art than science in that mm-hmm. regard. You know, it's like, because you're right, you don't want it to be too preachy. You know, you don't want people to read the book and feel like they just got lectured at they they want to read the book and they want to enjoy it. So but but you want to get your point across, you don't want to bury it so deeply that, you know, people just can't key into it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's I also like I, I my editorial process is pretty intense. I'll do like five or six, like really deep passes on a book before anyone reads it. And, and then I'm very lucky in the sense that like both my agent, my editor are like very brilliant story technicians. Um, and they know when to kind of like push me or pull me back. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I think the first stage is just keeping that balanced mind and just remembering that like your, your chief goal is to entertain the person who's reading it and not lecture them. And in that, in that
0: process, you, you said you sort of do five drafts or so um, before you show it to someone. Do, do you try and, you know, get a first draft out, get the basic skeleton of the story out, as it were, and then sort of hone
2: it as you go? Is that, is that your method or do you revise as you go? I, I try to I try to get the the first thing out like in one pass, just because it's it's easier for me to kind of have it on the page. And I tend to my first drafts are usually a lot shorter than the final book. Okay. Um, I know a lot of people will write a lot and then kind of cut down. Mm-hmm. I tend to write shorter and then kind of go in and like build things up. And um, but yeah, it's usually like five or six passes. And I always try to do like one pass backwards, where I start with like the last chapter and I work my way through to the front. Oh, um, that's interesting which I find very valuable in the sense that it's helpful to see the plot out of order. Sometimes it could help you kind of like help, you know, solve problems or or see how the pacing is. Um, But it also, I think it puts fresh energy into the ending Um, because sometimes when you get to the end, you're like, Jesus, I'm just so glad this is over. You're kind of (laughs) rushing a bit. So, so if you start with the end, it's like all that fresh energy is like right there. You can really kind of let things breathe. And uh, I was going
1: to say, you, um, you worked as a as as a journalist for for a while, and so I'm presuming you got very used to getting notes from the editors, and you know, not being not having too much of a thin skin that you kind of think you take things to heart too much, or you you don't want to. You go back and forth about how much to change and how quickly to change them. Is that kind of thing? It's quite easy to to do nowadays.
2: Yeah, that's something uh, journalism really helps with that. You know, I, I have a buddy who I'm collaborating with something on and we're both former journalists and it's such a breeze because we know that like the story's got to win in the end. That's the only important mm-hmm. thing. But, um, you know, and there are certainly times where my editor, or my agent has come to me and said, Hey, you should do this. And I've been like, well, no, I feel very strongly about this. And this is the reason. And we have a conversation and sometimes they're right. And, and I go along with it. And sometimes they're like, okay, you know, we'll back your play. It's your book. So, um, you know i i have been lucky again in the sense that like 99% of their input is is really really great mm-hmm. and and it's exactly what i needed to hear or to see um and you know that 1% is always like not a huge deal it's like sometimes like i just there's a joke i want to keep in or or you know some weird little character turn and you know it's uh it, it's it's a fun process you know i i love working with other people i i've always really enjoyed it cuz it's always great to get outside perspectives and and outside input and you know, this, I'm very proud of the warehouse and it's not, it would not be what it is without the input of other people.
0: And, um, following on from the warehouse, your most recent book is the paradox hotel, which is not too long out. Um, again, do you, do you want to tell us about that?
2: Yeah, that's, uh, (laughs) so I decided to go full sci-fi and it's basically, it's set in a hotel for time travelers where the, um, the U S is on the verge of privatizing time travel technology. So all these like trillionaires are like bidding for control of like all of space and time. And it's about the, the head detective at the hotel who finds a dead body and only she can see it. And it basically turns into kind of like a locked room mystery thing. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a publisher in the UK yet, but I'm kind of hoping soon we might lock that down because I've, I've had people asking when that might happen and would love to get it over there. Yeah no I was I was actually looking for it and I couldn't find it so
0: that that explains why, why yep. that's the case then um, and it's got I believe it's got quite a, a sort of diverse set of cast of characters um, in terms of the main characters and things like that um, yeah which you know obviously very refreshing to see um, do you think that is something that uh, is important in in books being written now that you don't just want your you know in a, in 20 years ago that I'm sure the, the main character in that sort of story would have been your, your average straight white male character and so on things like that.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, I kind of took it as a challenge. Um, the, the narrator is, is a queer woman and, you know, it was like, okay, you know, this is something that scares me. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. Um, you know, the, uh, as, as for writing a diverse cast, you know, I mean, I, I, I try to write the world as I see it. And I, I, mm was born and raised and still live in New York city. So I've, I've always lived in a very diverse place. Um, But I also think that representation really matters. You know, it's, it's, it's very important. And, you know, just now uh, I was having this conversation um, a couple of days ago. uh, So a friend of mine is going to be in the new Miss Marvel TV show. Um, That's, that's going to be on Disney plus and he's playing an imam and uh and and he's so excited that like you know there's going to be like like young muslim girls are going to be able to see like a show that like represents them in 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 the superhero arena and um and it's and and that's incredible and great and that's that's the story like that's not a story i can tell because that's not my experience um but it's it's really it's always exciting when people say like hey like i saw myself in this you know um in warehouse, I had a character in a wheelchair and she was just there. She was, she was uh, like, like her being like, she didn't have an accident in the book. She, you know, she she was just a a supporting character and a woman wrote to me and she's like, you know, I I've been in a wheelchair for most of my life. And I've never read something where there was just a character in a wheelchair who was just like, not like some sort of like function of the plot. And um, Mm -hmm. she was really thankful for that. And I really, I really took that to heart. It was like, okay, like, cool. You know, this makes me happy, and 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 there's always finding that balance of like making sure I'm not trying to transpose my experience on someone else's. You know, because one of the characters in Paradox is trans, and um, you know, that's something I I went into you know very carefully. I had two friends, um, both of whom are incredible authors, both of whom are trans, who you know gave me input and one of them read the book and she, uh, she helped me kind of like understand the points where I needed to, to be a little bit more mindful. So um, yeah, know as a white dude, it's a bit of a balancing act, but I think it's important. Um, Cause again, like we live in a diverse world, it would be ridiculous to not write a diverse cast of characters. No, it's, I,
0: I agree hundred percent with everything you've said there. It's interesting though, because I, so I'm um, currently going through the query process and you know with my own writing and uh, an agent and um, one of my characters was um a, a black person who you know again I, was that simply for a diverse cast of characters I wasn't trying to as you say um transpose myself in onto them my experiences onto them but um they said you shouldn't do this you know, you, you don't have the experiences of that, of, of being a black person, so you shouldn't do this. And that, I I totally get where where they're coming from, but I think it depends on the type of story and what you're trying to do with that character, really. Because, like you say, you want representation, you want a diverse cast. It's a good thing to have that, and it seems a bit limiting.
2: You know, people almost seem scared
0: of it at the moment in, in publishing in some circles.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there, there, there's kind of a line, like, I can't write a book about what the trans experience is like, I can't mm-hmm. write a book about what the black experience yeah, is like, absolutely. you know, I can't write a book and saying, like, I understand this, even though it's not mine, because then you're taking possession of it from someone else. Uh, but to have those characters and have them like fully fleshed out in this world where they're there, because they're there, you know, I think that's, that's perfectly within bounds, you know, but again, you just got to go into it with a uh, you, you got to go into it with some mindfulness and you also have to be willing to be called out on it mm, you know um yeah. one of the things that i, I learned I, I read this somewhere a couple of years ago it was um it was the white assumption in fiction it was that you know you how authors would only point out a character's race if they were not a white character so it was just this yeah. assumption that all characters were white until until it was said otherwise um so I, I, I've i been a little bit more mindful about, like, you know, pointing out the races of characters regardless of their race, just to kind of, like, create a little bit of, like, you know, consistency there. Mm-hmm.
1: And I wanted to ask about your move from kind of straight-up crime or mystery books into this kind of sci-fi, because The Warehouse is kind of in that wheelhouse, but then The Paradox yeah. Hotel is is really in the wheelhouse. Um, and, and, and is that something you really quite find it exciting is something you want to stay in playing a bit more
2: yeah you know uh, it it was great writing my first five books which were you know sort of like traditional like amateur pi books and um but yeah i just wanted a bigger sandbox with more toys you know and and also after writing a five book series i i kind of got tired of like living within the same universe i wanted to do like single books where i can just kind of like blow up the sandbox at the end and then walk away (laughs) um but I, I just I, I like big weird ideas, you know, like the one that I'm working on that that I hope will be my next book is actually like kind of like a weird Judeo Christian fantasy thing that, you know, is completely different than anything I've done before. And, you know, I I, I tend to get a little dizzy around conversations related to genre. I think genres, you know, it's more for like marketing people. Like I just want to write like weird shit that's interesting to me. <laughs> like, like that's what I want my my wheelhouse to be.
1: Yeah
0: is there i suppose going back to the marketing side of things um you know especially when we've spoken to crime authors before uh, they've been very it seems that publishers can sometimes say to them you know you need to stay in the in the world of crime if you want because that's the audience that you built up i mean have you felt any pressure in that
2: regard i mean clearly not because you've 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 moved it moved around in genre Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of writing thrillers, and there's still elements of crime fiction to everything I'm writing. So I I found that a lot of my readers from my original books followed me. Um, But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I do sometimes feel like I've got my feet in two different streams when it comes to, like, you know, getting coverage with, like, the specialty publications or, or, like awards consideration or whatever it's sort of like sometimes i feel like maybe i'm not enough crime for the crime people anymore Mm -hmm. and not enough sci-fi for the sci-fi people Mm -hmm. uh which just kind of is what it is it's not a big deal you know i I, again like i'm writing the books that are entertaining me and are making me happy so the rest can just kind of like sort itself out
1: (laughs) um and you also worked in a book with uh the man who's written about a thousand novels i think james patterson um it was Scott Free that that was the name of, the name of that book, and I wanted to ask how did that come about, and also what's the process like when you write with him? Because he he does have so many books up now, and so many of his books are written with other people. And what I kind of wondered what his role is in the in the collaboration.
2: It, it was interesting. So uh, it came about because I was at a bar at a conference with an editor at that publishing house, and he was like, "Hey, we're starting this new program. It's called Book Shots. They're going to be like novella length books." you know, do you want your name in the ring? And I was like, sure. You know, and my first book had came out by that point, which again, small press book, it was getting some nice reviews and some nice word of mouth, but it was not like a huge deal or anything. I figured he was being nice. Uh, And then like two months later, someone calls me and they're like, hey, like, you know, come in on this thing. So um, yeah, essentially like the, I was presented with a couple of ideas and it was like, you know, which one appeals to you? And I took one and started kind of spinning it out and then was like kicking it back and forth with Patterson where he would like, you know, flesh things out a little bit, and you know, we, we, and then I did an outline and then he had some input on that. Then I just started writing. Um, and I would do it in chunks and send it to him and he would send it back with notes. And I learned a lot, you know, I mean, I know Patterson is not everyone's cup of tea, but you know, the dude has sold more books than me. So we know something about publishing that I don't. (laughs) Uh, and, and so I I looked at it as a great learning opportunity and yeah, I, I had a blast doing it. Um, the bookshots program ended up not really working out uh, because what they, they thought that they could put out like four or five of these things a month. And if they were quicker reads, people would go through them quicker. But really what happened is that the average reader felt overwhelmed by it and Mm -hmm. bookstores were overwhelmed. They were like, this is too much stock for us to turn over. We can't do this. And so it just never really caught on. But as opportunities go, it was a really great learning process for me i can see that and, and and more recently you also
0: got a chance to play in uh, another sandbox in the star wars universe um you got a yeah. short story um uh, dune on batu i think is that is that what yeah um uh, how, how again how did that come about and was that
2: good fun playing in in that universe yeah so that was uh warehouse was published by um crown at penguin random house uh but but del rey handles like the paperback release and they they do most of like the marketing stuff on the sci-fi end so del rey also handles the star wars books and so i would be at like a comic con with like some of the star wars authors who are friends of mine and a lot of the editors who work on that and we all just became friendly and they were working on this project and they were like hey that guy rob's not a jerk let's ask him to do one (laughs) um and that was that was actually kind of terrifying, because like Star Wars fans, they will let you know if they're not happy with mm-hmm. yeah. something and yeah. uh, i I think I put more research into that short story than I have like individual novels um, but i I really I really dug in. And I sent it to the editor and she was like, okay, this is pretty solid. Now we just have to send it to Lucasfilm for approval. And I was like, oh no, like this is where they learn I'm a fraud. Um, (laughs) But then Lucasfilm signed off that like, there was a fact about a droid that I got wrong. So they just had like one little tweak and I was like, okay, I will take that as a victory. Um, But yeah, playing in star Wars is fun because it's like the biggest sci-fi canon ever, you know, and it's so beloved. And then to like, you know, it, it's like getting, you know, I was talking about sandboxes before. This is getting led into, like, the biggest, coolest sandbox ever. And, like, you got to be respectful. You can't break the toys. You can't blow up the sandbox, but you can still have your fun and then move on.
1: And how much control do you have over, like, the story with something like that? When you're working with the, a sandbox that huge, you know, as you say, you can't, I'm sure you can say you can't kill these characters. Or this, has. To, there's a timeline that has to happen and canon can't be broken, et cetera. But how much of your own creative process can you bring in? Do you, did you go in and say, this is a story I want to tell, or did they say it has to be set here with this kind of character and you can take it from there?
2: Yeah, well, so, so the book is basically, and it's kind of a cool concept. Uh, they, they had done one for A New Hope and this was for Empire Strikes Back. And what you do is you pick a secondary character from the movie and like tell a little short story from their perspective. So it's like a retelling of the movie from all of these side characters who are kind of like on the edges of the story. And, you know, I picked my character and kind of gave them like a paragraph or two about what I wanted the story to be about, because like this is a character you see running through the background for like Mm -hmm. 10 seconds. And I was like, okay, here's how I want to build that out. And they were on board. And really, when I wrote the story, they didn't have a ton of input. And and I was even able to get a little of myself in there, because I always I'm always going to write about like, you know, rich people are bad. Capitalism is bad. And I managed to sneak a little bit of that in there, too. And. So it was uh, it, it was a really rewarding process. I thought it was going to be a lot harder. And, and I actually I think right after I agreed to it, I was like, maybe I should back out of this. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. because This is terrifying. And then uh, it just couldn't have been nicer. But like all the people there, uh, all the people who work at Del Rey are just so lovely. And um, they, they make it like a very, very comfortable atmosphere. Is it something you'd want to do more of or was it a nice, a nice thing to oh, yeah. dip, dip your toe? Oh, no, you would. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of like, I think I'm like unofficially online to maybe do a Star Wars novel one day. Oh, um, excellent. But, but, but the problem with that is that the line is very long. So, you know, it might be five or 10 years from <laughs> yeah. now, but I, I will be ready when they call me. <laughs> excellent.
1: <laughs> and now, um, outside of the writing, you also do other work. Um, you work at Lit Reactor. You mentor writers via, via Pitch Wars. Is it important to you to help authors kind of find their way their way into the industry and to to guide them a little bit
2: absolutely absolutely um I forget who said this, but I think it's really true. It's like you gotta send the elevator back down you know mm-hmm. it's um there were authors who helped me when I was starting out, and so it feels really good to to kind of pay that back and and it's also like, it's a scary process and it's frustrating and there's a lot of misinformation and, and there are a lot of ways you can go wrong doing it. And So, you know, mentoring people makes me feel good um, from a personal perspective, from an artistic perspective. I think it's good to kind of get back to source every now and again. And sometimes like teaching a class will be so rewarding for me because it makes me sit down and actually like analyze my process. And you know kind of see different perspectives of where people were coming from when they started out versus where i was And you know i i sometimes walk away from classes and then lectures and stuff having learned just as much which is always uh really really rewarding and uh, the, the warehouse of course was optioned by um ron howard is there any update on that that you're able to give us i you know i i don't know what i can and can't talk about um i mean it's still very much in the early stages mm-hmm. um so they're 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 talking to some people now and, you know, it seems to be kind of moving along. They haven't, you know, dropped it yet, which is nice. Um, it's actually Paradox is much closer um, that All I've right. already, already okay. seen a pilot script for the TV show and, okay. and I oh, think cool. they're going to start shopping it around like this summer, um, which is really exciting because Warehouse is sort of like off on an island, uh, whereas with Paradox, if that goes forward, I get to write an episode, um, which I would love to do. I think that would be an absolute blast. So... It's, it's the Hollywood stuff just takes so long, and then yeah. and the hit-to-miss ratio is so high. You know, the chances of something happening are pretty low. So I go into it assuming it won't, because I'd rather be surprised than disappointed.
1: Yeah. I and, mean,
2: I, I, could, I could
0: see The Warehouse as well as a TV show, actually. I, th- I think it would work well in a sort of mini series type, type sort yeah. of severance-type uh,
2: mm-hmm. approach. Yeah, I think there's been some conversations about maybe it's worth rethinking that. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I'd just be happy to see it. Like the idea of someone actually like filming and shooting something I wrote is just yeah. bizarre.
1: And and you you mentioned there about about hopefully writing a, a screenplay for one of the episodes um, if it, if, it, if it does go ahead. And is that something you'd like to do more of? You know, would you like to kind of shift a bit into the world of film, film and TV?
2: I think it would be pretty cool to write TV. You know, and, and this is a really good entry point. Um, My buddy Blake Crouch recommended this. He was like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to sign an option for a TV show, you know, because my question was like, it would be really cool to be in the writer's room, but Mm -hmm. usually a writer's room for a TV show is based in LA. You know, I live in New York city. I've got a a Mm seven-year-old daughter. I don't want to move to LA for three or four months. That's, that's just not really, that doesn't work for me. And he was like, just just ask for an episode because what's going to happen is if you do a really bad job, they will just rewrite it. If you do a really good job, it's going to lead to more TV work. So, um, so yeah, you know, if, if this serves as an entry point to that, if I do a good enough job to to get some more opportunities there, I would love to do that. Excellent. And uh, what
0: what do you have in the pipeline just now? I think you said you were um, you had a collaboration project and possibly a yeah. fantasy book as well or something.
2: Yeah, I've got my next novel, which I'm trying to figure out. Um, we're almost there. I've got a book that me and my friend are co-writing that is actually more of like a Star Trek-y kind of like, it's like a Jean La Carré novel set in space um, cool. that we're hopeful about. I've got a comic book with the same friends that's coming out uh, sometime during the summer. So it's weird. Like I've got a couple of things that are kind of bopping around, but nothing like really firmly set in stone. <laughs> um so mostly lately i've just been taking a lot of naps
0: <laughs> and is it is it nice having that um collaborative side to things as well
2: when obviously writing your own novel can be quite a solitary process a lot of the time oh yeah yeah you know it's um it, the, the the collaborations are great you know just the other night I, I got to go out and hang out with a bunch of artists uh at an event and it's like it just recharges the creative batteries a little mm-hmm. bit you know because that solo thing you know it'll wear on you after a little while and and then sometimes you just need to get back in there and remind yourself why you're doing it yeah totally what was the last book that you read uh well i can tell you what i'm currently because the last couple of books i've read um the last book I read was for a friend, which hasn't even been picked up by a publisher right, yet. But okay. um, the the book I'm reading now is Kismet by Amina Akhtar, which is just this really great murder mystery set in Sedona. Um, and uh, I am really, really digging it. Excellent.
1: Nice. Uh, what about the last film that you watched? Oh, God, what was the
2: last movie I watched? Um, <laughs> it was The Bad Guys. It was an animated film um, that I took my daughter to go see, which is nice. okay. actually pretty cute. Excellent. Yeah, mo- 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 most most of my watching is like TV these days. Like after she goes to sleep,
1: yeah. <laughs> no,
2: I, I I get you there. Uh, and uh, TV show, what TV show are you watching? Or uh, currently, watching? currently, I'm I'm reworking my way through Doctor Who. Um okay. well, nice. it's uh it's it's been a while, so I'm I'm on on series five, the first Matt Smith season, which uh which which I love, I thought was great. Um, and yeah, uh, Better Call Saul. Which I think is like one of the best things on TV right now. Yeah, that, 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 that show kill It's actually like I think after this, I'm going to have lunch and like catch up on the latest episode. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm absolutely loving that. Every every Tuesday, I'm kind of like this is the, the new day for the next episode, and it's very very exciting. It's, it's just it's, it's kind of it's really slow pace, but it's you can tell which is so much thought and plot has gone into it and, it, and everything's keyed up to pay off down the line. And it's just it's great watching it all come come full circle at the end.
2: Yeah, I love how they will spend like 10 minutes doing something like really weird and obtuse that you don't understand and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, okay, now I get it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, the the final, final thing we always do is a super quick fire um, either or, and I always say there's no right answer apart from one. So we'll start off with uh, Fahrenheit 451 or 1984.
2: Ooh, Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, I reread that like once every two or three years. Cool. Nice. Uh, TV or cinema? TV, mostly because, you know, I, I'm at this point now where I'm tired of movies being like three hours long. Yeah. I'd rather watch stuff at my house.
1: <laughs> was uh, People always say back in the 80s or 90s, there was like a studio mandate that films had to be two hours long, no more, so they could pack them into cinemas, more, get more showings of them. And everybody always looks back at then and says, oh, that was you know directed or told what to do, blah, 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 really, really bad. But I kind of like, well, there's plenty of great films from back then. And also two hours is m- yeah. normally more than enough time to tell a good story.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I've I've sort of fallen in love with this idea of like 90-minute films. Yeah, I miss that.
1: Yeah. So Netflix have a 90-minute category now, which I was like, that's the category. Yeah, they do? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to find that one. <laughs> um, Night Owl or Early Bird? Ugh, depends on the day,
2: half the time. <laughs> I have to wake up at, like, you know, 7 a.m. to take my daughter to school, and then most nights I don't fall asleep <laughs> until, like, 2. So, okay. yeah, I'm running on 5 you're hours of it. sleep okay. most nights. Yep. Um, music or no music when you're writing? Music, but music with no words. It has right. to be something, like, orchestral or electronic. I can't do, like, word music. And do,
0: do you listen to the same music when you're writing a story, or do you, you know, do you vary?
2: I tend to... You know, I tend to stick actually um, Nine Inch Nails, um, their ghost albums, um, which I think there are now like six. Um, those are, are great writing music because they're really chill, but like they're, they're sort of like this cool sense of dread in them. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- th- those are usually my go tos.
1: Nice. And final question real book or ebook?
2: Real book. Yeah, I uh, you know I went through a phase where I was really enjoying ebooks. books um, but I don't know. I just kind of like I kind of miss the tactile feel. So lately, it's just been all real books for me.
0: Well, I've actually started listening to the Nine Inch Nail. Nine Inch Nails Ghost album uh, uh, on Rob's recommendation. There when I'm writing, and I, yeah, if you like that sort of ambient uh, kind of sci-fi vibing music, so kind of uh, like a I Brian
1: would, e, Brian Enoy type feel to it,
0: uh, a little bit, but yeah, it's very uh, f- uh, like a soundtrack. I would say cool. Okay. You know, there's, should, there's a lot yeah. of soundtrack type vibe to it. So I think uh, yeah, if you're if you're writing that sort of story, then I think it could be. I think it's a great recommendation, and the good thing is, that I think there's uh, six albums, so there's plenty of music there to to listen to <laughs> as you're as you're uh, working on your masterpiece.
1: And and when you are listening to your Nine Inch Nails, are you also revising your novel from the end backwards? Because that is yeah, a crazy yeah. way of editing. But I totally,
0: I, it does sound mad, obviously. But I, having recently done gone through an editing process with. Uh, a novel of mine i completely get where what he's saying about by the time you get to those last chapters you are almost just like yeah this is fine this <laughs> is, fine, this is You're fine. just
1: flying through those final pages <laughs> yeah. perfect doesn't exactly. change <laughs> Yeah, exactly
0: so i can totally see why one pass starting from the end and going to the start would would have that effect of making sure you are paying attention
1: yeah that, that and also good bit. if you've got i guess reviews or twists isn't it because you can yeah. you can you start with that and then you see, well, the a groundwork lead as opposed to, it does a twist of land. You're looking at it backwards. But I, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, it does sound nuts, but I, I can't see the benefit of that. And it's something I am going to try because I do, I'm intrigued to see how that works in practice.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, well, thanks very much to Rob for coming on to the podcast. And I'm really hoping that the Paradox Hotel gets a distribution deal in, in the UK soon. Oh, for sure. I really did enjoy the warehouse a lot. Highly recommend it if you're into that sort of story. And yeah, Paradox Hotel sounds sounds brilliant. So um, we'll put a link to Rob's books in the podcast description as usual. But next week, we've got another great sci-fi
1: guest. Yeah, next week, we're going to continue the the sci-fi theme, especially with Rob and then with our Chimera appearance. Uh, we're going to have an interview with Martha Wells on next week. Uh, Martha Wells is, of course, uh, best known for her Murderbot uh, series of books which are great fun they're, they're a combination of there's some novellas and there's some full-blown uh, novels yeah. in there and uh, all systems red is the first one and it's a kind of a story of a of a terminator type robot which um kind of changes its ways a little bit and it. it's more it's kind of yeah. like well not like hard but it's a very unique uh type of story the way it's way it's told
0: yeah it, it, it's uh, sort of yeah interesting to see into the head of the sentient AI yes. as the main character, yeah, essentially. Yeah. yeah, highly recommend those novellas. But yeah, Martha was great fun to speak to it. Now, of course, not just sci-fi, she's written a lot of fantasy mm-hmm. as well. Um, also interesting that, although she's a massive name, has written some great books, she had a period in her career where there was a big dip. Um, and we talked to her about what you know, how do you deal with that after you've, you've yeah. been successful to suddenly find that happening to your career, how do you revive it again? So um, really good advice and interesting to to hear from uh, on that front as well. So uh, please do tune in for that one. But if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do subscribe, like, give us a rating, give us a review. All of these things help us continue to get great guests on the podcast.
1: And of course, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, perhaps they want to send us a question for Adrian Tchaikovsky. They can, of course, get in touch by a variety they of be quick if they're doing that very quick we well, nothing quicker than electronic mail and they can reach us by sending us an email to uh, podcast at rightgear.co.uk or they can send us a tweet in the Twitter machine which is at UK page one
0: so we hope to hear from you uh, with a question for Adrian on that but otherwise uh, we'll speak to you next week
1: see you later